friends and welcome to another edition of Dan and Benny in the Ring. I'm Dan Spastiano joined as always by the BS Express himself, Benny Scala. Benny, I know this is where I usually ask you how you're doing, uh, but you and I talked before the show and we're both a little bummed. We're recording this, uh, obviously saddened. Uh, we're recording this on the 15th of March this week. The wrestling community was, was pretty rocked by news of the passing of Scott Hall. Uh, anybody who has been a fan of wrestling over the last 30 years, has seen his work, has been inspired by his work, and his impact can't, I don't, I mean, it really can't be understated. Um, and on a personal level, it hurts a lot of people because he kind of became the public face, uh, along with Jake Roberts, uh, under the DDP yoga of the possibility of the dark side of wrestling turning itself around. I mean, here was a guy who, uh, in a, in a, on a on a wrestling reunion show, had to stand outside the ring while the guys in the ring toasted because he could not be around alcohol, even felt people just around him. And he went from those demons to the the, the shows and and to to multi time Hall of Fame. Uh, he was back on the convention circuit. He was back doing the indies uh, appearances. I mean, he became the face of what could be of conquering demons that are far too common in wrestling. And unfortunately, uh, some of the side effects, uh, of the, the, the that I weakened him. And, and, and then the story goes, I don't want to get into too much detail. He had, uh, suffered cardiac, uh, issues following hip surgery from an injury. And unfortunately he passed this week. Benny, your thoughts. Yeah. I mean, what a shame the guy turned his life around in the last several years. And I don't really think he gets his uh, proper due as far as his historical significance. I remember quite vividly watching WCW and I think Monday Nitro and seeing him on the screen and issuing the words, you know who I am, but you don't know why I'm here. And after that, I mean, the rest was history. That started the Monday Night Wars. Absolutely. And it's not even, you know, outside of, of, his time in the w in WCW, the WWF. And so, I mean, you, you had his tag team with uh, Kurt Henning and the tie his time as the diamond stud and just so many, so many moments where he was kind of at the cornerstone of turning what was popular in wrestling. The razor Ramon character really was, was, was one of the cornerstones of the new generation popularity in the WWF. And then obviously the, uh, the NWO and his second run following that. And just everywhere you looked, you saw his influence and his popularity. And before we get to, to tonight's show, I'm going to give a shout out to, uh, this is a, a, one of the, the groups I follow on Twitter is called Irish wrestling entertainment. And they posted a, a little poem. I want to read that as our final thoughts on Scott Hall's life. And it says, um, it goes, he formed the clique, which inspired a club. He revolutionized the ladder, that diamond stud. Outsider to Razor, his name is Scott Hall, the original bad guy, machismo and all. Bad times are over. Dreams came true. Scott will live forever because bad guys do. 
and then Amen. hey yo and again um we posted on the page uh our thoughts are out to him and his friends and family and you saw the comments just flooding social media over the last 24 48 hours of the impact he's had on the business and it's it, his just a loss that will be felt for years i don't go a day without without quoting scott hall in, in one way or another i mean it, one one of one of many characters. I mean, it's either Razor Ramon or you know Scott Hall from you know, the Outsiders, but absolutely just a huge loss to the wrestling community. Absolutely, and I I don't know how to properly transition, but we we talked about legends. We talk about them on the show all the time. Tonight we're going to talk about a special legend, and joining us, Benny is the in who he told us right before we started recording tonight his first ever interview benny why don't you tell us who we've got on the phone with us tonight yes and you know i, I was gonna say that uh, you know thinking about this this afternoon this is episode 62 we've been doing this <clears throat> excuse me i believe like 14 months now and i've enjoyed every single one of our guests but you know this one it was like uh, on Friday nights when I was a kid, my dad would take us to Carvel, which um, I think you have to be a New Yorker or, you know, East Coast. And know what it's a uh, ice cream, you know, soft ice cream cones, mm -hmm. which are out of this world. And I kind of feel I felt this afternoon like that because uh, our guest or our, our guest dad actually was one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. Just brought me hours and hours of entertainment. So tonight we are very happy to bring on our show, Mr. Mike Cicluna. Mike, welcome to Dan and Benny in the Ring. Thank you. Appreciate that. So, uh, Mike, your dad, to me, and, you know, growing up with him, he was, he was an absolutely fascinating character. But one of the things that made him so special was he was kind of cloaked in secrecy. He didn't do a lot of interviews. And unlike most of the um, the bad guy, the heels in the 60s and the 70s, really didn't use a manager. Um, so, and I can tell you from personal experience that when I would sit down in front of my TV set on a Saturday morning and I would hear Joe McHugh say, and in this corner from the Isle of Malta, weighing 272 pounds, and the way he said it, Baron Miguel Cicluna, I mean, well, the minute he said that, all was right in the world. I mean, I wasn't going anywhere from the next hour. You know, we could, the house could have got robbed. I wasn't going anywhere. I was, I was where I wanted to be in the house, watching, <clears throat> watching your dad and the rest of the guys on Saturday morning. So my first question is something that I've thought about for years and years. Was your dad really from Malta? He was actually. Uh, he was, uh, there was a little town in, in the middle of Malta called Burkakara. And um, he was uh, born there. Uh, he spent most of his childhood there and um, went through the war and uh, he uh, ended up, uh, you know, he was always active in, uh, in sports and things like that as far as, you know, gyms and things like that. But, um, you know, the war took a lot of his time when he was a kid and uh, they just tried to stay fed. You know, I guess the, the, they were in war with the Germans on the island and um, they were always being bombed and, uh, it was quite a quite a childhood growing up, uh, in, in remembering him recollect about all those those days. But uh, yeah, he actually was from Malta. That's you know that's nice to hear. Usually, Benny, how many times have we had the uh, uh, you hear the story about somebody and it turns out it's more a character than anything? 
Yeah, they're either from parts unknown or they're really from Cleveland, but it's nice. This is very refreshing. <coughs> and all, it, the good, all the good characters from parts unknown. It has uh, 58 like, years of speculation on, on my part, so I'm very happy to hear that. Mike, something that, that really set your dad apart from a lot of the wrestlers of his day was he, I mean, his, his just build and stature were impressive, but he moved around the ring in ways that he could run circles around guys smaller and leaner than he was uh, just watching him in the ring. I'm guessing he had an extensive athletic background. Is that true? Was your dad uh, big into uh, any kind of athletics or sports before he got into wrestling? Uh, n- not really in sports per se. Um, you know, I don't really worry. I don't know where he got his prowess, you know, that he did have in the ring. He, he did move quite well for a big guy, but, um, he, uh, he was always in good shape, you know, you know, after the war and he, he always went to gyms and such. And, uh, he, uh, he actually became a police officer in, uh, over in Malta. And, um, you know, I, I guess in the training for that, you know, they, they were quite athletic in, in that respect, but it wasn't like he was a soccer player or, you know, or a football player or anything like that. But, uh, he, uh, he was just, uh, just a strong, virile kind of guy. And, uh, I guess it just, uh, just by the way he was built, he was able to, to move like he did in the ring. A lot of attitude, I think, has a lot to do with it. <laughs> He he reminded me of a, a, almost like a thoroughbred horse. He was just very very tall, and he didn't have the bodybuilder physique, but you could tell he was in great shape. He was very well conditioned. Um, so how, how did he become like what? How did he become you know op, go from Officer Cicluna to Baron Mikel Cicluna or Mike Valentino actually? Well, he um, he, he came to to a lot of the, the friends that he had had came over from Malta. And uh, they went through Ellis Island and ended up going straight to Toronto. And uh, he, I guess, stayed in touch with them, writing letters back and forth and such. And that was what he wanted to do. He wanted to, to uh, get himself in a better position. He felt Malta, I guess, you know, was, was, wasn't really going to give him what he wanted in life. And uh, he ended up going to a gym. Uh, down close to downtown Toronto, and um, there were a, you know a number of wrestlers that that became wrestlers that just so happened to, to, to be there. I know he talked about Waldo von Erich being there, and uh, Dave McKigney. Um, there was uh, the Hungarian Wolfman Willie Farkas was uh, was at the gym, and um, they would always get together and go to uh to maple leaf gardens and uh he got interested in in, in doing doing it himself if, if he had a chance and uh he ended up getting that chance through uh a promoter his name was frank tunney and um he actually got you know gave my dad a chance and uh got him you know started in the business basically wrestling wrestling local shows and then uh, he moved on from there I'm just curious as far as the, 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 the name, though. Was there a reason for that name instead of his real name? You mean Mike Valentino? Yes. Uh, that was something that uh, Frank actually came up with, Frank Tunney. Uh, where they came up with Valentino, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, 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 don't, I don't know if, he, if I ever asked him or if we ever really talked about it. Uh, um, 
you know, because when I when I when I started to get of age, you know, he was always Baron Baron Chaclina, and uh, the the Mike Valentino was kind of something from the from years prior, because you know this was back in in the early '50s is when he got started, and uh, I didn't come along until '58, and uh, he was out in out in uh, California at the time, and my, my mother was uh, was two months two or three months pregnant with me. And uh, her father was uh, in, bad, in a bad way with, uh, with cancer. So the doctor let her fly back to, to Toronto. And uh, my dad stayed behind and wrestled some more. And then he ended up packing everything up in a trailer and, and drove uh, from San Francisco back to Toronto. And, and they, uh, that's where I was born. Um, so why Valentino? I don't know. I really don't know where that came from. Just something Frank dreamt up. Maybe it had something to do with it, you know, something close to him that he uh, that he knew. Unless it was Rudolph. <laughs> I, that's what I was going to say. He does. He does kind of have a resemblance to Rudolph Valentino. Well, there you go. That's possible. That's very possible. Nice. You know, you, you tell the story out going of him time out west. Obviously. Uh, after Canada, he surfaced in San Francisco wrestling in the territory out there. We've just did a show recently on the, the San Francisco territory. Uh, he ended up winning their version of the NWA tag titles, defeating uh, Ramon Torres and Dick Warren, who most wrestling fans know by better by the name Nick Bockwinkle. Uh, obviously, huge, huge accomplishment defeating any of those guys and winning a title in one of the more prestigious territories. Did, uh you, you mentioned being born after he left the West Coast. Did he talk a lot about his time wrestling out in California? He really didn't. Uh, you know, he, he did, again, he mentioned Frank, uh, Tony, and, uh, you know, he had sent him out there. And uh, I guess he got involved with uh, with Stu Hart. I guess he had a, uh, what was called the Wrestling Stampede. Stampede, there. yes. Yeah, but... Um, no, we really never, we really never talked much about that, honestly. Yeah, um, my dad was very, very seldom home, and uh, you know, when, when he did come home, we—it's it, just one of those things that you, you just—I don't know—it was just kind of something that that he did, you know. Uh, we didn't seem to have a lot of conversations about specifics about wrestling. Um, I was—I grew up and uh, was kind of always into into cars and. Uh, and things like that, and he, uh, you know, he'd come home, and we'd, if we were going to get together and do something, it was all, he, it's, it's odd, because as much traveling as he did, you, you think he'd want to just hang out, but uh, if he had a chance, a month or so, he'd, he'd want to get on a plane and go somewhere, <laughs> you know, so, uh, no, we really never talked a lot about the West Coast, honestly. <clears throat> he wrestled, I mean, I did some research, uh, he wrestled in San Francisco. He wrestled in Western Canada for uh, for Stu Hart. Wrestled in Toronto for uh, for Tunney. Also Pedro Martinez, which I think was based out of Buffalo. I think he even did a little bit with the uh, AWA. And then he spent some time with uh, Mid Atlantic Championship Wrestling. He got a pretty decent push there in uh, 1964. He actually in November 64, I looked it up. He defeated Tim Woods, uh, which was the original Mr. Wrestling, and Mario Milano, both of who were like. Uh, absolute legends in, in professional wrestling. So um, I was thinking we, we had a couple of weeks ago, we had Paige Von Hess Sutherland, um, the daughter of Kurt Von Hess. And she mentioned something about 
they moved 17 times in 10 years. Uh, did you guys do that, or did you mostly have a home base? No, no, we, we moved. I was never in any – once, once we left Toronto, uh, I went to kin, kindergarten, and I started first grade in Toronto. Uh, and I, from that point, was never really in school much more than six months at any particular place until we got to Pittsburgh. And uh, he was off again, and I was at the age at that point where um, I just, just, you know, I, I just decided, I said, listen, I, you know, at that point I had friends from high school, you know, and I, I didn't want to take off again. So he, uh, for quite a while, he went off and, you know, he got an apartment in New York, and uh, McMahon wanted him to, uh, you know, to, to go and be, and be more uh, in the New, York, the New York area. So he went off and did an apartment. And then I finally bought a house and moved, and uh, my mother moved, and they ended up buying a place in New Jersey. But, uh, yeah, I think that was kind of the forte of, of the wrestling world. You know, you got it just seemed like you got transferred from territory to territory, and um, that's just the way it was. But uh, after doing was... that for so long, and, and I'm sure she, she can understand, you know, once you get of age, you just you don't want to do that anymore. You, know, you just want to kind of be rooted uh, – and, and stay in the same place, and that's what that's kind of what I've I've always done since then. I can only that's imagine good. like doing like moving, say like in 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 May, and there's a month left in the school year. Now you're in a new school. You really don't have time right. to make friends with anybody, so you really don't have anybody to hang out with for the summer. And it, it it probably is irrelevant because probably by September you're you're back off moving again. Yeah, yeah, that's just that's just the way it was. You know, we were all over the place. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's tough, you know, it, it affects your grades and, uh, but, uh, that's just, you know, part of, part of what he did. And, um, you know, as a family member, away you go <laughs> Right. to another new town. Yeah. It's just the way it is. Speaking of transitions, <clears throat> Benny, obviously he did, you know, we were doing some research for the show and, and Benny brought up a lot of good points before we started recording and something he pointed out was in 1965, uh, after bouncing around the territories for you know more than more than 10 years, uh, he, your father ended up in the WWWF, uh, Vince McMahon Sr., uh, actually recording his first victory uh, there over Thomas Marin in Washington, D.C., which uh, I probably was the Capitol Wrestling TV show. Uh, this is That match is the first time he appeared as the character that would become Baron Cicluna. And I'm curious, was his transition from Mike Valentino to Baron Cicluna uh, before, you know, the Cape, the, the, the Maltese royalty, was that his idea or was that something that came from the McMahons? No, that was McMahon seniors uh, doing. He, uh, he was a pretty good businessman, as you know. And uh, the, uh, it's that name seemed to fit him quite well i mean he, or at least he he fit into that name quite well as time went on but now that was that was vince mcmahon's uh singer's idea and uh, uh it, it worked you know it just seemed to work out well <laughs> he played the part well i guess absolutely <laughs> i have to tell a little bit of a story before i ask my question so um <laughs> I believe it was 1967 Christmas. I was 12. Uh, my parents, because they were tired of me hogging the TV set, 
and watching wrestling when they wanted to watch something else. So they got me this little 12-inch Hitachi black and white TV set and for Christmas, which I proceeded to bring up to my room. And that's in the early days of UHF. So I'm, I'm fiddling around, and I get this Channel 47, which was all Spanish, from Newark, New Jersey. And the only thing, I, the only show they had um, was uh, Lucha Libre, but it was the uh, from uh, it was Capital Wrestling from the National Arena in Washington D.C. And I remember the very first uh, show that I saw. Your dad, same thing. He wrestled Thomas Marin, and there was something about him because, like, I I knew that like I I wasn't supposed to like bad guys. You know, I, I love Bruno. Bruno was my hero, but there was something about your dad, just the way he 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 carried himself that it was impossible for me to dislike him. So for a long time, he was the only heel that I liked for a long, long time. And um, one of the things that really bothers me when I when I go on Facebook and you see a lot of the younger people who are only familiar with your dad towards the, you know, the end of his career in the early 80s when he was in the twilight, you know, and he, like like anybody else, you know, like Dominic DiNucci and, and, and Pedro, you know, kind of moved down on the card a little bit. But I, I want everybody to know that Baron Mikel Cicluna was a very big deal in the world of professional wrestling. So I'm going to go to uh, late 65, early 66. He was pretty much undefeated for months after he came in. And, you know, you mentioned Waldo Von Erich earlier. Um, he actually pinned Waldo Von Erich in Madison Square Garden, which is like you talk about another legend. And Waldo Von Erich didn't lose clean very many times in his life, but he met Bruno, the first encounter, uh, January 24th, 1966. And I remember, um, yeah, so um, Bruno won by by DQ uh, after 26 minutes. And But the thing was, your dad had him in his hangman's hold, and Bruno couldn't get out and kick the referee. And somehow the referee disqualified your dad, which doesn't make any sense, but, you know, it, it didn't necessarily have to make any sense, but... Um, he wrestled Bruno many, many times around the circuit. He had a return match with Bruno, but they wrestled for months and months all over the place. So I guess my question is, I'm thinking that Bruno wanted to work with your dad just because of the way he wrestled and because of his size and, you know, the, the way he handled himself. Is that, is that the case? Yeah, Bruno definitely re respected my dad. You know, I've, I've seen various uh, interviews that Bruno has done and, and he's, you know, he's, He's mentioned that, that that's the case. Um, you know, he's mentioned that my my dad had ring savvy and speed, and uh, yeah, they 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 definitely enjoyed working together. Um, you know, uh, we didn't we, we didn't live too far from Bruno in Pittsburgh, and uh, it was uh, it was quite often with him and Danucci and uh, and uh, and Bruno would get together and out and have breakfast and reminisce about the old days but uh yeah i i, I think uh, bruno was like my dad he liked to he liked to wrestle with guys that, uh, that, that, that were you know well good skilled in the ring because i mean if you if you weren't skilled you could get hurt very easily you know if somebody's going to pick you up and body slam you or whatever you wanted to be somebody that uh that kind of knew what he was doing but uh i think bruno actually got broke his neck at one point because somebody dropped him the wrong way yes stan hansen but uh mm -hmm. yeah yeah so but yeah they, they seem to have mutual respect for each other for sure you can't talk about 
Bruno and obviously the impact he had and your dad. I, I, I'm curious, your, your father was inducted into the WWF Hall of Fame back in an era when it may still have had a more clout than it does today. And it was 1996. I, I want to, Benny, I don't know if you know this. I want to read the, the 1996 class. It was highlighted by your father. He's the first name listed. It's Baron Cicluna, Captain Lou Albano, Jimmy Snuka, Johnny Rods, Killer Kowalski, Pat Patterson, Vince McMahon Sr., and the Valiant Brothers. That's, what a class. I mean, to to be part of that, I, I, I'm curious if you have any stories. Uh, that was uh, the same weekend, uh, the 96 Survivor Series. Uh, they, they had a big event in um, New York City. I think it was the Marriott uh, back when they used to do their banquets there. I'm curious if you have any stories about your dad's uh, induction, what he thought about it, uh, any events, memories from that weekend, anything like that. Well, my wife and I actually went with him uh, when he got inducted. Um, they, they actually invited you know, the whole family to go. And uh, it, it was it was quite an evening. Um, they really put on a nice affair. Um, my dad was, uh, he always had a bit of a, uh, it wasn't really called a stutter, but he uh, he got mocked by by somebody that was funny there, and, and uh, I think they were ready to go around it, uh, on a stage <laughs> because of it. But uh, yeah, I uh, I don't remember a lot about you know the specifics about it, but uh, it was quite an evening. I mean, they they sure they sure put on a nice uh, a nice affair. Um, Vince McMahon and his wife and. Uh, and, and their their daughter were uh, were very cordial, and um, it was a, it was a, it was a great weekend. We had we had a lot of fun, that's for sure. Mike, your dad was the first wrestler I ever saw that made use of a foreign object. You know, in his case, a lot of times it was a roll of quarters, and I would always defend him. I tell my friends, well, you know, he's just he has that handy in case one of his fans needs to make a phone call after the match. You know, maybe do some laundry or something like that. So, um, but was that his idea? Because that really was unusual back then. Yeah, he kind of started that as a spoof. And um, it just become a, it became a gimmick that uh, that people are still talking about. It's crazy. But uh, I found a couple things, you know, going through the, the, some of the some of the objects that, that, you know, he's gathered over the years and uh Rolls of coins. Uh, he had a, uh, a metal can opener that was wrapped up in surgical tape. That I guess that was one of his favorites because he could hide it very easily, you know. But uh, it used to be comical watching him uh, send a ref in in, uh, in circles trying to figure out what the heck was going on and where he hit it. But uh, yeah, that's something that, that he started, and uh, it, it it worked, you know. And, and that's the way wrestling was, you know. If you found something that worked, you stuck with it. But uh, I don't remember too many other guys doing that. <laughs> no, definitely not back then. No. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's funny that, it, and and correct me if I'm wrong on this one, Benny. The 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 gimmick of the the big robe, or excuse me, the the the, the cape and and the royalty to come out with it with a handful of coins, like of any object. I mean. 
it, 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 it just so perfect. The, the heel mentality of, like you said, the, the fans, if, if somebody needs to call a cab after the show, I'm keeping a couple of coins. Extra. Absolutely. That's why, that's why you had them. I mean, it could it could have been anything, and it fit the character so perfectly. Yeah. But circling back to what we were talking about earlier, your your father had a, an, an encounter, nineteen sixty six. Obviously, uh, you know, with back with Bruno, um, this was during a period of time he with Johnny Valentine, and and during his time in the WWF, he was a World Tag Team Champion, United States Tag Team Champion. Uh, he he traveled the world literally at this point. I'm curious, looking back at at just the the Hall of Fame after Hall of Fame after Hall of Fame caliber people your father had been in the ring with. Did he have a favorite opponent? Anybody he ever talked about? Like that's the guy I always love to work with. And then the flip side to that is, did he have anybody he ever regretted not getting a chance to work with? Um, I, I really, I, I don't really recall him. You know, specifically pointing anybody out that he didn't didn't like to work with. I know, I know he, you know, again and, and talking about it before, you know, he always liked to work with guys that were that were well versed in the ring because you know because of the getting hurt. Uh, you know, he talked about guys that. Uh, that did things that uh, he wasn't too happy with because, you know, they did things the wrong way or whatever. But, uh, you know, as far as who he did like to, uh, I think it was pretty much uh, set up by the promoters as who, who he was going to, who he was going to be wrestling. And uh, he just, he just take them, take them as they came. Um, he, uh, I mean, <laughs> it was funny because for a while there, um, you know, I, I, when I was younger, I kind of thought about getting into the business and, uh, I was working out and stuff like that. And he, uh, he kind of, he kind of led me down the path and he, he didn't think it was a good idea. He didn't really like, you know, where things were heading. And, uh, but, uh, he actually wrestled me in, uh, Weirton, West Virginia one time. So whether he liked, liked the guy or didn't, I think he had to do it regardless. <laughs> wow. <laughs> just, just curious, uh, he he put you over in that match, or did you do the favor for your dad? Oh no, no, I wasn't winning the match. <laughs> no, I was uh, I was I was very green at the time. Wow. <laughs> yeah, but it was uh, it was something that I'll never forget. It was it was it was uh, it was just a neat experience. But uh... well, I I have another statement before I ask my question because. I am going to go on on a limb and say that I, one of the guys I would think he really loved working with was Dominic Danucci because <clears throat> when you watch their matches now, I mean, it looks like they're having a really, really good time. I mean, they knew each other very well. I mean, they complemented each other perfectly. And, I mean, every single one of their matches was, was totally enjoyable. That was my statement. Now, um, in 1968, your, your dad traveled to Australia and um, – actually won the the IWA uh, World Heavyweight Championship, which back then is a huge was a huge deal. And he defeated uh, Spiros Arion, who was uh, probably like top five in the world back then, to win the, the championship. And then he also wound up uh, holding the uh, the IWA World World Tag Team Championship with uh, Cyclone uh, Negro. And so, 
How did your dad, what did your dad think of Australia? Did you guys go with him there? No, we didn't travel to Australia with him. Um, you know, quite often if, if he would go that far, you know, we, we wouldn't go. I, I typically had school and such, but, um, he did like Australia. It just so happened his sister and her family um, lived there at the time. So that was kind of a, a neat thing for him because he hadn't seen her for, for quite a few years, uh, really since they had left Malta. And um, he was really looking forward to, to meeting her, her husband and, uh, and his kids. Um, but he did enjoy it. And um, he, uh, but we, you know, we never, we never, went with him to to australia and uh you know we pretty much uh let him go and and do his uh you know when he'd go to australia or something like that he'd be gone for you know a month month and a half at a time but uh yeah he did quite well there much i'm reading a lot of the information that you had sent me over (laughs) he did quite well there apparently well if you look at the list of champions i mean it is a who's who of of you know wrestling legends and for your dad to be included as one of them i think it's a it's a great uh testament to how how good he was yeah he uh he definitely made his mark in uh in professional wrestling that's for sure you know he uh he really he did he enjoyed it it was a lot of work and a lot of traveling but you know he he definitely uh, i don't know if it was his alter ego or what but he he was a different person in the ring than he was you know uh, in, in in reality, you know, it's just uh, he, he really played the part well. Definitely did. So in 1972, uh, he won the uh, he went he went back to the WWF late '68. In '72, he won the uh, World Tag Team Championship with uh, King Curtis Iakea. Uh, rare occasion he had Lou as his manager. Did did he like? Uh, working as a tag and the two-part question um, was there ever and I think I know the answer to this was there ever talk of turning him babyface um, he, he, he kind of started as a babyface when he was wrestling under Mike Valentino it seemed like that was kind of you know he leaned toward the babyface side but um, it just seemed like as time went on that, that just, it just wasn't him. You know, he, he it seemed like to be a baby face, you kind of had to be able to get on and, and, you know, do a lot of talking and, uh, you know, bashing the other guy and telling him what you're going to do this and that, that just wasn't him. He, he just wasn't a, a big talker in that, in that, in that scenario, you know? Um, now if you get him in a Maltese club with a bunch of his friends, he, 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 he You'd call me a liar for sure because he was the he was the life of the party, but uh, I think he really kind of enjoyed being on the heel side, you know. That's just seemed seemed to be where he uh, where he liked to go. But, you know, uh, it was it was very formulaic back then. I mean, like you said, the babyface like Dominic, you know, Bruno, and even uh, earlier Spiros, Arian, Victor Rivera, Pedro. Um, the, you know, they were they were pretty glib. Uh, not not Victor Rivera, he wasn't, but um, but then you had the heels, and uh, that's why you had the managers. You know, most of the heels were pretty quiet back then in the late right. '60s. You had like a Crusher, Verdu, uh, Virgil Butcher, Hans Mortier. Those guys really didn't speak at all. And then you had you know you had a, a Bobby Davis or a Lou Albano or you know Grand Wizard exactly. to do the talking for him. Exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah, as far as the tags and singles, I don't think that, you know, he really had one, one preference over the other. Um, you know, again, uh, whatever whatever it called for, he, he would do. But uh, I know the, the fans sure made it tough, you know, because they, they sure loved to hate him. I mean, he, he played the part so well that, um, you know, we'd be at a local Kmart somewhere and there'd be somebody in the next aisle over. You could hear him saying, there's that dirty so-and-so Baron Chicluna over there, you know, and they don't even know the guy really. I mean, they know him from TV, but <laughs> they, they hate him just because who he is. You know? So it made, it made things a little tough on him. And, uh, and uh, even on, on me as growing up as a kid, you know, <laughs> but uh, that was who he was. <laughs> so w- would he break character uh, in public? Uh, no, he just kind of ignored people, you know, I mean, he, he would just, he would just move on. You know, he never, uh, he never, uh, got into the wrestling character in public. It's just, that's just nothing he ever really did. But, um, again, if you, if you saw him in a Maltese club, you'd never know it because he was the life of the party. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's funny because, you know, we talked to, again, Paige Von Hess, uh, Sutherland, uh, there was an incident where her dad was wrestling uh, one of the uh, Samoans and, you know, actually beat on him pretty bad. And, you know, he told the, his uh, page and her her sister, you know, run out to the car, you know, and then I guess he ran out to the car and, you know, followed by a bunch of fans <laughs> and who, who are, you know, now are trying to uh, tip the car over. So, you know, you got like a 10 year old girl and her little sister, you know, and, and oh, you got all these fans. And fortunately, I guess the police came and, and some other wrestlers and broke it up. So I'm assuming it never got to that point with you and your dad. No, no, we never we never had anybody approach us or anything like that. No, that never happened. That'd be terrible as a 10 year old kid. That, that would be bad. Yeah, I don't think anybody would want to mess with your dad. Just just a guess. <laughs> no, he was a, he was a pretty big guy. That's for sure. You know, you said it perfectly. Your father fit the mold so well, and everybody believed. I mean, him being the Baron, it was so real. His in-ring abilities were so good. I'm curious, though. We always love talking about, you know, uh, how people got into wrestling, where their lives went while they were there. But I want to flip the script for a second. Did your dad have any other interests or activities if he had not become a wrestler do you know what he would have ended up doing you know honestly i i don't know um he uh when he was in toronto he, he had some some factory jobs and things like that but uh what he would have done beyond that uh, i don't know um he wasn't really uh you know, well-trained in, in any, in any professions, you know, other, you know, wrestling was, was what he did. And that's, that's all he really uh, aspired to be, but I don't, I don't know what he would have done, honestly. Um, that's a good question. You know, he probably would have hung out in Toronto, like a lot of the Maltese did and, uh, and just lived a normal life there, you know, whether it be a factory worker or, uh, or who knows what he would have got into. I really don't know. I, I honestly, with his look, I could I could see him like in the movies and TV. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> Guess if you met the right person, you never know. Right, right. He, he may. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's the he's the guy that would you, you wouldn't quite know his name, but he'd be he'd be the be every movie henchman number four or something. 
You know, he he had that look, the guy that would stand in the background and and get the, yeah, the with flash. his arms crossed and just you know, exactly look mean. He, he he'd be the last fist fight you'd have to do before you got to the final vi- final villain of the film. <laughs> but I I want to ask too. Uh, obviously, we talked a lot tonight about territories and you know Aww. your travels, your trips. The longest stint your father had, he was with the WWF for almost 18 years up till he retired in 83. Uh, and I'm curious, you, you mentioned it was McMahon Sr. that kind of created the the, Seclu- the Baron Seclune character. Is that why he was so loyal for so long? I, he had to have had offers to wrestle elsewhere during that time, but he stuck with the WWF. Yeah, he really uh, he really appreciated Vince McMahon Sr. Um, he, he was very good to the wrestlers, and uh, he was he was really good to my dad over the years. And um, I think that was you know a big reason why he elected to stay. Um, you know, he had been to many other territories, and uh, you know whether whether he was happy or wasn't happy at those territories, um, I, I think that he just. You know, he just liked he, he liked McMahon Senior. He just really, uh, really was a good guy. And then, you know, again, once he got to that point, you know, trying trying, to, we had moved around so much over the years, you know, that he he really didn't want to move the family again, you know, and uh, and um, that might have been part of the reason why, also. Um, so uh, to move to another territory at, at that point, you know, back to Texas or wherever the heck it might be. But um, and I, I think the WWF was was pretty much the place to be in in that era. You know, there was just there weren't too many territories or, that were that were bigger, really, or uh, you know, more affluent than uh, the WWF. Um, they, they did a really good job, and uh, even making you know Vince McMahon Jr. Uh, he sure was a heck of a businessman. He. Uh, <laughs> He, he knew how to make money. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, Davey O'Hannon, uh, when, when he re- we was talking about Johnny Rods, you know, Johnny was, uh, he was probably the best wrestler ever at putting people over. He was just, I love Johnny Rods. I mean, he just, just a great guy, great, phenomenal wrestler. Kind of like your dad. He was part of my childhood and he was there forever. But Davey said about Johnny that, Johnny could have went anywhere and been a headliner and a champion. And I, I, I'm almost positive that your dad, you know, in the late sixties, early seventies could have went to any one of the NWA territories and been a main eventer and held a a number of belts. But, um, when, again, when I did my research, it looked like, you know, and you, you, you read these, these, uh, uh, bios on wrestlingdata.com and it just shows the matches by year. And you can see, and a lot of times you'll see a wrestler, kind of take a break and you, there'll be months where he has one or two matches. It seemed like looking at your dad's almost every single month, he wrestled at least 20 matches. And I know that that database is not complete and there's probably many more that weren't even included on there, but um, it almost seems like he, not a workaholic, but he would, he just went and went and went like, did he ever take a break? Very seldom. Um, you know, we, 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 Took some trips to uh, to Malta, and we went over to Europe and uh, went went to Italy and things like that. And again, that's what that's what he really liked to do, you know, especially getting back to to Malta and, and seeing people he hadn't seen for a while. But 
other than that, I mean, he, he takes some trips to Japan, you know, where he was gone for a while, but again, that's wrestling and uh, Australia, but no, he, he'd spend maybe, you know, either a week at home and he'd be gone again. I mean, that's just, that's just, I guess the nature of the business, but he, um, he really didn't take a lot of breaks, you know, other than a, you know, the vacation here and there, but it wasn't, uh, he just wasn't one to sit and be idle. It's just the way he was. Um, Well, you talk to travel a lot. It's come up a lot uh, tonight. I'm curious, how did you end up in Pittsburgh? We got transferred here uh, from New Jersey. We came here in uh, Pittsburgh in uh, 1969. Um, it was just another another territory to uh, to, to move into. Um, you know, we we're kind of based here. Um, there were a lot of shows in the area and then he again would, you know, drive to New Jersey or to New York or whatever and spend, you know, some time there. But, um, not really sure how we ended up here, but, uh, this is just kind of where we landed, you know, at that time. And, um, I'm sure it was just, uh, McMahon's idea, you know, for him to move. Cause we were in New Jersey twice over the years. Uh, we were there earlier and then we, we came back and um, I would imagine it was just McMahon's idea to, to, to move him to Pittsburgh, base him here and then uh, work him out of here. I, I think it's very ironic. You know, you got Bruno and Dominic that came from Italy. Yeah. Um, you know, your dad came from Malta. Now, both your dad and Dominic, I believe, started in Canada wrestling. Bruno went yeah. up in Canada very quickly after he got blackballed by uh, by the, the original WWF. And uh, and then all three of you went up in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Yeah, Johnny Valiant, was, he lived here. Uh, Johnny DeFazio lived here. Um, John Sullivan lived here. There were quite a few wrestlers that, uh, that lived uh, within probably a uh, 10, 15-mile radius, you know, in Pittsburgh. Well, now there was actually there was actually a Pittsburgh territory though that I believe Bruno owned. And when you said about your dad wrestling in Pittsburgh, I believe a lot of the matches and when the guys that you uh, mentioned, like Johnny DeFazio, I think it was Jim Grabmeyer, uh, Tony Marino, Batman, a lot of that was the mm -hmm. Pittsburgh territory, correct? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, they did. They would do uh, back in that day. You know, they'd wrestle in smaller towns. You know, whether it be Steubenville or Weirton or I mean, they'd even go to high schools. Uh, you know, I'd go with them every once in a while, and you'd, you'd find yourself in a high school. And uh, and then the main events were always in the big towns, you know, Pittsburgh, the Pacific Arena. And then, uh, you know, as time went on, they the, the smaller shows were at the Civic Arena, and then everything else was pay-per-view. You know? But back in those days, yeah, that spent a lot of time driving around to some of the local towns. But... Um, as far as whether you know if Bruno got into the you know ownership of a lot of that, I, I don't really know. I'm not I'm not privy to that. The uh, the show, the TV show, I believe was called Studio Wrestling, and kind of like uh, the old uh, Capital Wrestling. I believe the shows were like they were taped over, you know, with, with for the next show. And what a shame because I mean I would give anything to watch those now. Yeah, I can recall going up. It's the 
the studio channel 53 that they used to film that at it was uh it was pretty comical they had uh they had a bunch of people who were pretty regulars they had i don't know if you ever heard of ringside rosie yes and uh she'd sit there she had her knitting needles and if she didn't like the wrestlers that were coming out of the thing she'd actually try to poke at them and stuff it was comical and it was it, but uh yeah that was just up on the hill from where i actually live now but uh, a lot of people talk about studio wrestling that's for sure legendary yeah. I'm, I'm cu- absolutely I'm curious as a as a sports fan. I mean, 1970s Pittsburgh. You had the resurgence of the Pirates. You had the Steel Curtain. Uh, the even even the upcoming uh, you know bef- before the the slow start with the Penguins. How uh, how big was wrestling compared to the other sports? Considering Pittsburgh was such a heavy popular sports town at the time you, time frame you're talking about. Um. It was a it was a pretty big. I mean, they filled the Civic Arena, which is a was a pretty big venue. Um, you know, whether it would you consider it whether it would compare to to football uh, or not. That's you know, Pittsburgh's a pretty big football town, as you know. But um, yeah, I mean, to fill the Civic Arena with with for wrestling, I mean, I think that's that's a heck of a uh, accomplishment, and they did it on a regular basis, and. Uh, you know, there's a lot of history of wrestling here. I, you know, I, I remember guys talking about uh, Chief J. Strongbow, and there's a, there's a lot of wrestlers that that wrestled in little towns in Pittsburgh. You know, because a lot of people that I know or that know me will say, oh, my grandfather used to go religiously every every week or every whatever, you know, whenever they had shows in uh, Lawrenceville, which is just a dinky little town down the road. And I didn't even know that that, that existed. That was even before we moved here. So, uh, you know, the interest was definitely here. You know, I guess if there's, there's, there's a sports, you know, something to do in Pittsburgh sports wise, there's people that are going to go do it, go see it. But, uh, well, let's, uh, but Benny, I, I know you're, you're chomping at the bit here before we get back. I'm, I'm curious though, you pluck a, a, a sports fan randomly out of the civic arena. You got a, uh, autograph line for for the Baron and an autograph line for Joe Green. Who you think they're going towards? <laughs> I know who I would. <laughs> me, you, and me, both, <laughs> Benny. One of the things that I really love about you know when we talk about you know your dad's era and old school wrestling is that. You know, the lifestyle they had, you know, they're, they're wrestling. And then, you know, an hour later, after they take their shower, they're heading they're in the, you know, three or four of them are in a car driving maybe hours to the next show. And, you know, they're, they're maybe get they, they get to stop at a diner for a bite to eat. You know, maybe, you know, they're missing their kid's birthday or an anniversary or, or a holiday. And I don't think anybody really, you know, really appreciates what they had to go through. But uh, and, and in the process of that a lot of uh, lifetime friendships were forged. And I know I was actually uh, on the phone once with Davey O'Hannon. I was working on an article that I wrote for, about Dominic Danucci, And w- somehow the subject of your father came up and he just absolutely loved your father. I mean, it's very obvious by the way he talked about him. And um, so I was just curious, um, did your dad, dad have a lot of uh, close friendships in the wrestling community. 
Yeah, he did. I mean, uh, you know, when you're when you're in wrestling like that, you tend not to be friend friendly, really, especially as a heel with, with a lot of people that aren't in the wrestling business, because it's just, you know, they they know you as as Baron Shakuna, and they, they don't like you anyway. You know, you're you're kind of a you're kind of the uh, the odd one out there. <laughs> really liked them most people went because they they, they wanted to boom but uh him and dominic were good friends uh walter kowalski you know i can remember walter coming over to our house quite a bit um you know obviously bruno uh waldo von eric george Steele, gorilla monsoon we used to gorilla monsoon lived in new jersey and uh i can remember quite a few times uh we'd be in new york for one reason or another and uh uh, he would have he, he would have like a uh, a bunch of wrestlers over and cook steaks on the grill and uh, it was comical. You'd have Professor Tanaka there uh, chopping boards in half for for for, uh, for kicks, you know. And uh, Tony Pugliese was was a good friend of my dad's. Um, so yeah, I mean they, they I guess they kind of stuck together because you know if if you were the babyface, like, everybody loved you. But uh, but yeah, he did have a lot of friends in the in the rest of the world for sure. So I have to know, did you, uh, did you ask George Steele to uh, chew up one of your couch cushions? <laughs> you know, it's comical because he was, you know, George the animal Steele, And I believe he was a, uh, a physical education. Uh, yes. Um, uh, he taught in, in, in a college or something like that. In Michigan. In, uh, yes. Michigan. And he, he was, you know, it, it, I met him quite a few times, uh, we traveled uh, together. If I, if they'd be wrestling local, you know, I'd go with them just for, just for the heck of it. And uh, he was such an intelligent guy. <laughs> but uh, yeah, a lot of guys, you know, they don't. When you meet them, you know, and, and you see them in the ring, you're amazed as to, well, you know, is that the same guy that I'm used to seeing in the ring? You know, each had their own personalities, but. Uh, yeah, he was he was uh, he was a character, that's for sure. He put on a heck of a part. <laughs> you know, Mike, as we get ready to wrap up here, I mean, we talked a lot about wrestling, a lot about your life and and your father as a wrestler. But tell us about Mikel Cicluna, the man, how the the person behind the character, the father, the the peel back that curtain for us. Well, he was, uh, I mean, you know, wrestling really was his world. Uh, uh, he, uh, he enjoyed what he did there. And, but when he came home, he was, uh, he was a very good provider and, uh, he, he was just a good dad. I mean, you know, he wasn't able to be home as much as I think he would have liked to have been, but, uh, he, uh, he was just a good guy. You know, I mean, we had a lot of anything that I was into, whether he was into it or not, he would he would be be interested, you know. Uh, whether it was me carrying a motor out of a car in a garage, he'd come in and he didn't have a clue what he was doing, but <laughs> you know he'd want to help me. Or uh, we'd get a kick out of him. We were remodeling a basement. I had a couple friends over to help us out because you know they were good at various trades, and uh, he couldn't. I had a, uh, a pickup truck that had big tires and it was lifted way off the ground and it had a manual transmission well he couldn't drive a, a manual transmission to to save his to save himself but 
down the road he went grinding <coughs> the gears and we got a kick out of him you know but he was just that kind of a guy he just he enjoyed being home and uh just just a good man just a really good good man for sure how how would he have wanted his fans to remember him i mean i to me now i i i'm on social media a lot and i can tell you that whenever a picture of your dad is posted it gets a huge amount of attention and 99% of it is positive um he is you know it's really funny because for someone who is a villain a heel <clears throat> for all those years and for him to be as beloved as he is now speaks volumes about the man in my opinion yeah he uh, he was really proud uh to be from malta and, and I'm, i think he was happy that that you know they came up with the baron michael shikluna uh he, he wasn't i mean he, he he wasn't a baron that that was kind of uh something that they put together but um he uh I think he'd be like to be remembered as a guy that worked, uh, you know, real hard to make the role he played very believable. And uh, I mean, more fan, more fans hated him. And the annex, you know, it was very good for wrestling. Um, got, got a lot of people out to the shows. Um, he was very humble. Um, he was really good to my mother and I. And uh, I don't think there'd be anyone quite like him in the wrestling. World for uh, absolutely not. Change so much, you know? yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I, I just uh, I guess either you loved him or you hated him, one or the other. But you had to respect what he did. But, but you sure. paid attention to him. Absolutely. You, either way, hard not to. <laughs> Cer- certainly yeah. won't forget him. That's for sure. No, no, that's for sure. Yeah. Mike, I, I can't thank you enough for your time. I mentioned at the top of the hour, this was your first, you, you told us before we started recording tonight, this was your first interview. Uh, you killed it. You really did. Um, I, for for having never done this before, um, I commend you on that. I thank you so much for your time. Uh, as we wrap up, do you have any, uh, any closing thoughts, final thoughts uh, you want to share with us on your dad? Um, I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm thankful that uh, guys like you are keeping uh, keeping the story alive, and uh, and that was part of the reason I, I wanted to do this, you know, to try to help help do that. And um, uh, you know, I think a lot of people think back of the old days of wrestling. Uh, things have really changed, and uh, it's it's uh, it's a different world. I think that's why he didn't want me to get into it because he just saw, you know, things things were changing, and um, but. Uh, yeah, I, I, I appreciate you guys, uh, you know, doing this. Uh, I, I was really never asked to do this before, uh, kind of stumbling my way through it, but uh, hopefully it helped out a little bit. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Mike, again, thank you so much for your time. Uh, we'll When the episode comes up, Benny said he'll reach out to you, and we appreciate your involvement with the show and you taking your time to, to talk about your dad and – like you said, we, we do what we can. Um, one of the taglines of the show, celebrating wrestling's storied past, and you can't talk about the past of wrestling without mentioning your father. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you for your time. Thank you so Thanks, much, Mike. Mike. You have yourself have a good, good evening. Night. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. 
Benny, we've done a couple of these shows already where we've talked to family members. It's such a unique insight to get that perspective of the somebody who kind of not not and I don't mean this in a bad way, but is in the shadow of a larger than life character. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and I just remembered something that I wanted to bring up, but I guess we can bring it up now. Um, <clears throat> Baron Cicluna was involved in one of the most historic moments in the history of TV wrestling. In 1976, he was going to wrestle Gorilla Monsoon, and all of a sudden, Muhammad Ali appeared at ringside, and Baron stepped out of the ring. Muhammad Ali he confronted Gorilla Monsoon, got put in the airplane spin, and I mean, I was that. I mean, that 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 took me off my couch. That was that was a shocker. But he was that was he was in that moment as well. Crazy. But yeah, I mean, he, uh, you know, from my perspective, you know, again, when I first saw him, I think I was 12. And, you know, by, by, by the last time I saw him, I think I already, I was married and had a kid. He just, I mean, he spanned a whole generation. You know, it's funny. He retired in 83, which was the year I was born. And even getting into wrestling as a kid, all the tapes, the old clips, the, the syndications, the early, I mean, not really reruns, if you get what I mean when I talk about replaying old wrestling. Even his career was officially over before I ever got into wrestling, and he was still everywhere when I was coming up as a kid. You know, and like I said, and I wanted to make a point of it that, you know, a lot of the younger fans, you know, they remember, you know, Baron Cicluna of the early 80s. And, you know, then he was, you know, kind of losing matches to SD Jones and, uh, you know, guys like that. But, uh, but he was also 53 years old at that time, almost right. 54. I mean, had wrestled forever. And, you know, like I said earlier, he, you know, his place in the card, um, same as Dominic Danucci, same as Pedro at the end, you know, kind of slid down a lot, a lot. But, you know, Baron Cicluna was the real deal. He he main evented twice against Bruno at the Garden. He wrestled mm -hmm. Bruno all over the place. I mean, he was a, a, a world champion in Australia when that meant something. So, I mean... The guy was the guy was a big deal. Yeah, I mean, he had gold in in territories that didn't give their belts to anybody, and that's a, the testament. And yeah, you, you talk about him sliding on the card, but I think it's important too is is he was in his fifties in the at that time. So when you look back to the moments in the seventies when he was still one of the most regarded talents in the world, he was in his early forties, right? running circles around guys in an era when wrestlers in, in their thirties were already done. I mean, he, wrestling, he was yeah, a machine. Exactly. In today's day and age. Yes. Re people wrestling into their forties and sometimes fifties isn't, I don't want to say uncommon, but they say forties, the new 30 in, in, in night, when you're talking 1970s, being 42, 43, even, you know, start getting towards 47, 48, you were a fossil who was done and he was still tying people in knots and, and just, just running circles and carrying shows. It, it was crazy. Yeah. And even at the very end, I mean, he was still in great shape. I mean, and you know, he had one of those, like I said, he was, he was a thoroughbred. He was, he was, he must've been about six, five or six, six. And the two seventy two that Joe McCune announced him at, I bet that was legit, but the yeah. guy didn't have any body fat and he just, uh, he was a machine. He went on forever. No, exactly. And he was built, you know, it, it, 
Bruno had that such a unique look where he could just his his the chest, the physique. He you know, you mentioned Gorilla Monsoon a minute ago. These are guys that look like they were gonna pick you up, rip your arms off, and beat you to death with them. Right. <laughs> I mean, the Baron, when he came out with the cape and he pulled the per you know, the, the purple and the blue, and he had that physique underneath, he looked the part of this is this is the 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 purest specimen Malta could send the United States. 100%. And, and that's Absolutely. why we need the conquering heroes to take them down. Yes. Yes. And you just don't you don't get that aura really anymore. It, it's sad, but I, I, I can't. I don't know. It's crazy to think. But um, another great show in the bag, Benny. You mentioned episode sixty two. We keep chugging along. Uh, we'll hit a hundred before you know it. Pro- uh, we keep growing. We got a lot of good stuff coming up here in the next few weeks and months. Uh, I do have one quick note from go our for it, sponsor, uh, Jimmy Valiant. The, the Boogie's Wrestling Camp is now conducting. Uh, tours during the week, Monday through Friday, personal tour from Jimmy Valiant. Uh, if you are interested, uh, just email him at jimmyvaliantoutlook.com and uh, he'll get back to you uh, post haste. And I mean, what an experience to get a tour of, uh, of the, that. That compound is an experience in itself. And to get that tour from Jimmy Valiant would be, uh, for any wrestling fan, would be phenomenal. Well, re- I mean, wrestling wrestling uh, school slash museum uh, again. And, and we can't, we can't spend enough time thanking Jimmy Valiant for his support. I mean, we show wouldn't be here without him. That's for sure. Yes, absolutely. So for the BS express himself, Benny Scala, I'm Dan Spashon. I have a good night, everyone. And we will see you next time. We're in the ring. Good night, folks.